0: Hello, folks. Welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by Spoken. And Spoken is a very convenient way to learn English with messaging apps that you probably already have on your phone, like Line or WeChat or WhatsApp or Viber or Facebook Messenger. You can learn English through these applications. Uh, It's basically like having an English coach in your pocket. You can have private lessons with trained native speaking instructors. And there are expertly crafted English learning Materials designed to meet your needs. It's ideal for people who need to improve their English for work or travel or, or tests and exams. You can do tasks. You can have lessons on your phone whenever you want. And it's not just a robotic app like Duolingo. There is a real person on the other side re- uh, responding to you and your specific needs. And you can do your lessons on your on your messaging app um, wherever you want, when you're on the bus or when you're in bed, or if you've got a few spare minutes at work. You can chat with your instructor, do the tasks they send you. Many of those things are voice messages as well, and get some English practice into your daily life. Sign up with Spoken for a free sixty minute one-to-one private lesson with a trained native speaking instructor. That's a free sixty minute one-to-one session and that includes a free assessment of your current English skills. The hour free lesson is is via a very intensive messaging based lesson. The vast majority of messages exchanged uh, are voice messages. And an average hour lesson typically contains about 300 exchanges between learner and coach. The the free lesson is essentially a no-strings-attached free trial. And after the lesson, uh, you can decide to continue with a plan or not. Uh, and the plans are very affordable. Uh, Luke's English Podcast listeners receive 20% off for the first month of their plan, regardless of which plan they sign up for. To qualify for all of this and for more information, you just need to use my URL, which is getspoken.com slash LEP, com slash LEP, or click a Spoken logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks, and welcome to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? Are you doing all right? I hope you are. I hope your summer is being summary um i mean not being brief uh, but uh, being like a summer normally is it's not not like a summary that's that's like a british summer isn't it it's more like the summary of a summer if that makes sense because maybe sort of at the end of august you might get a couple of weeks of sunshine it's like there you go that's what summer would have been like if you lived in a hotter country So a sort of summary of summer. Okay, that was an an unintended introduction to the episode, but anyway, here we are, and I hope you're doing all right. So in this episode, I'm talking about an infographic, which is often shared online, called What British People Say Versus What They Mean. And in the infographic, there are three columns, okay? So it's like a table with three columns Uh, The sort of thing that gets shared around on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. Three columns. One column uh, with sentences typically spoken by English people or British people. The next column has what apparently British people really mean when they say those things, which apparently is different to the actual words they use. And then the third column shows us the perceived meanings of those sentences by foreigners. So it's kind of how foreign people would misunderstand what the uh, English people or British people or uh, were saying. OK, it's supposed to highlight the indirectness of British English speakers and uh, how people from direct cultures often misunderstand us. So I'm going to go through the graphic line by line, discussing the language, talking about the indirect communication style of British people and discussing to what extent this infographic is true and how much is just a stereotype. So um, this relates to several conversations I've had uh, in episodes in the past, uh, namely the ones about cultural differences with Amber and Paul Uh, British humour with Amber, and the one about language and culture with Alex Van Walsom. And those episodes were something around episode 390 in the archive. Uh, So this chart, this infographic, often pops up online. Um, You might have seen it. It's shared on Facebook or Twitter, and people send it to me by email. In fact, people send this to me all the time, often accompanied with the question, Is this true? Uh, It's probably the infographic that I've seen more than any other. Uh, A while ago, I shared it on my Facebook page, and it got a big response with thousands of people seeing it and loads of comments. So the, the chart is anonymously written. We don't know exactly who wrote it. It may have first appeared in an article on The Economist's website. Apparently, some people say it originated in a Dutch company, that had dealings with the UK which is interesting because the dutch in the netherlands uh, the, the the dutch in the netherlands are known for being very direct in their communication so perhaps through their eyes the brits might seem excessively indirect the infographic is sometimes uh, entitled what british people say versus what they mean or the anglo eu translation guide So basically, the chart presents a list of utterances, which it presents as typical things the British say in business situations, and then two other columns, which represent what British people really mean and uh, when they say those things, and then how other people actually understand them to mean something quite different. I think it's based on communication and cultural differences between the UK and European neighbours, the underlying cultural difference is that the, in the UK we have an indirect communication culture, particularly with regard to saying negative things, and uh, we tend to signal our disapproval, disappointment, disagreement or offence in other ways, either by min- minimising the negative part or using euphemism, which is kind of like where you, you say something, but you actually mean something else. You suggest something in what you say, uh, which may be hard to understand to the untrained ear. In my experience as an English person living in France, I find that it is definitely true that we have slightly different communication styles as a result of our cultural differences. But they're just slight differences, really, I think. Uh, one example of a difference between France and the UK is that generally in the UK, our first interaction with people, especially people in service positions, for example, if you're going to the post office to collect a package, which you've been told is there, even though last time you went, they claimed that it definitely wasn't there. So you went before and they said, no, it's not here, but apparently it is. So you have to go back and kind of complain and make them look again. Uh, In the UK, I think that my normal way of doing it would probably be to approach the situation in a kind of nice way using friendliness as a social lubricant to help things go more smoothly and to prevent sort of bad feeling. Like, for example, I might say, oh, sorry to bother you again. Uh, I went to the other post office and they told me that the the package is definitely here. Could you have another look for me? Thanks. You know, you you kind of talk to that person like you understand how you're putting, you're personally kind of putting them out But between the two of you, there is a sort of friendly understanding. You're nice to the person, even though technically they are wrong, and you're sort of making a complaint. But, you know, that's how it goes much of the time. Not every time, of course. Often when Brits uh, are unhappy with a service, uh, they will complain about it very directly. But many times you'll see or hear Brits being pretty friendly when dealing with people in in impersonal situations. Now, that might actually be perceived not as nice or not as a nice informal gesture, but it might be perceived as fake and two-faced because, in fact, you're actually not happy with the situation and you don't know the person personally, so why are you being all chummy and friendly, okay? So it may come across as being sort of fake. In Paris, I reckon your first interaction with a service person at the post office or something, your first interaction would typically be a bit more formal and also a bit less friendly, I I think I might be wrong, but if you're all nice, in my experience, if you're all nice and friendly and you smile, you sort of might be perceived as weak, and that's not to say that French people don't smile, because of course they do a lot, but in in that kind of service situation where you're making a complaint, you're likely to be serious and with a straight face. Certainly in Paris, I don't know if it's true for the whole country, you, you can be completely straight about it and bring your unhappiness to the table it's quite normal to dig your heels in and argue a little bit before things then turn into a more amicable arrangement uh, after a few moments. It usually ends well, but there is a bit of conflict at the start. For example, saying no or it's not possible at the beginning before deciding later to to make an exception. And I'd like to refer you to the episode that I recorded with Alex Van Walsen, which is episode... Uh, Three hundred and ninety one um, and this is when Alex van Walsom, who is Dutch uh, living in France, uh, speaks excellent English. He was talking about um, his experiences of uh, the communication style or the, the, the sort of technique that you need to use to get results from service people in France in exactly this kind of situation so let 's just hear again what Alex said about this because I think it 's kind of quite interesting, and we can compare this maybe to aspects of British communication style. Ooh. What's the key to unlocking a French person when they say it's not possible? Give it a second.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it just means it's not possible for him at that moment right there. Right. Then you make a bit of a French face and go, oh, well, pas possible. Mm. Show some, I guess. Complicity. Try to create complicity. Mm-hmm. Just give it a second. Yeah. Like, oh, that's difficult. And then you might say, normalement mm-hmm. fait pas ca Normally, we wouldn't do this, and you are like, "Ooh!" And then you go, "Oh, oh you know, more French face and yeah. kind of, uh, yeah, wow!" Because it's so pas possible, right? yeah, you know, I totally understand. Yeah, yeah. And then they might. The next level is, "Je vais voir ce que je peux faire." Ah, okay, I am going to see what I can do.
0: Ah, you are thinking, "Hello,"
1: and then eventually, you know, there is a few more steps. Maybe it goes to the computer. Yeah Looks at the screen Looks totally pas possible On the screen
0: (laughs) That's that's the bit that I like I have to say When you start talking about uh, The manager Yeah
1: There's a manager Gotta talk to the manager He's got Turns around He's got just years Of better possibility On his face (laughs) (laughs) But eventually uh, Eventually you get it It comes up Comes back And he says uh, You know Exceptionally exceptionally, Mm Exceptionnellement You get what you came for Plus the free cheese We were talking about Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so that was episode number 391 with Alexander Van Walsen, which you can listen to. It's in the episode archive. So, anyway, Alex there was talking about the way in which you have to deal with the sort of, uh, uh you know, service, communication in a service situation in France, and I think it's particularly well-observed uh, bit there when he's talking about how, you know, the person goes, like, oh, I'm afraid it's not possible, and you, you have to kind of go, oh, really? Oh, that's, God, that is terrible. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Uh, it's and then you just wait and then they kind of go well we'll we'll see what we can do so that's kind of the way it has to work in France like i've seen it where uh, going to a restaurant i think i've written this in my notes uh, i'm going to yeah this is in my notes so basically it, for me this is how it feels for me living in paris i feel like if you're nice and you compromise from the start then they'll walk all over you without even realizing it not really in a in a you know mean way but it's just kind of you know you're not playing by the rules so there's there's conflict at the beginning until the thing finally gets resolved and later on a relationship of trust might develop from the, from the problem being fixed but it it comes after. Now I'm not saying in the UK we never we're never direct or angry in that situation or or that in France people are never nice at first. I'm just saying that in my experience it pays to be a bit more formal and tough at the beginning or you, or you might be kind of taken for granted whereas in the UK my approach would be a little bit different sometimes this difference gets the better of me, right? Like I might go to a restaurant and say, um, excuse me, do you have a table for two at eight? And the guy says, I'm afraid it, you know, it's a bit complicated or no, it's not possible. And I smile and I go, okay, well, that's a pity. Thanks for your help. And then I leave. Uh, but what I often don't realize is that no, it's not possible. It's just the starting point. And what you should do then is wait and just not take no, for an answer, you wait and you say, "Well, is there anything you can do?" You know, uh, you know, you dig your heels in a bit, and often after a little bit of digging, you might get a result, but you have to push things uh, through a little barrier first in many cases. So the point is that the words we use and the messages that we convey are often quite different. And messages are often subject to various cultural codes which allow the people to, involved to truly understand what is being said versus what is the intended meaning or the illocutionary force of something, the thing that you actually mean. Or more simply, in indirect cultures, we don't always say exactly what we mean. And it depends on the other person to decode the intended message uh, that's there. This is more common in some cultures than others. And this kind of indirectness does have a social function. If you're from a direct culture, you're less likely to be able to decode the messages. And that's where the misunderstandings happen. And that brings us to this chart of what British people say versus what they mean. This chart essentially targets this cultural and linguistic point quite specifically. And while there is truth in it, I think the chart overall is not completely accurate. Nevertheless, let's go through what Brits say versus what they mean, and, we, and we'll see what we can learn. One of the most important problems with this chart for me is the lack of context and the fact that these are spoken phrases written down. So none of the intonation is included. And intonation and context are vital in the way these messages are delivered and understood. Uh, so without the context and intonation, this chart makes British people look incredibly devious and two faced. And it also makes other people seem pretty dumb. And naive now, um, so the importance of intonation and context here what i 'm going to try and do as I go through this list is attempt to build some sort of context for each phrase uh, so i 'm just going to be improvising these things, but I you can imagine I think probably for most of these things you can imagine some kind of meeting room in a company in London in a, you know maybe quite a posh company uh, in London um, and it 's like a marketing company, let's say, and there's maybe, you know, one or two English guys who are managers, they're like senior managers type type people, and, you know, they, they're taking part in meetings, and maybe you are someone working at this company, you're, let's say, you're a foreign person from wherever you are f- from, and you, you're working there, and you're, you're um, junior to this guy, so, you, you know, uh, you report to him, uh, you work for him. He's basically your boss. He's your line manager. Okay. And so you take part in meetings. Sometimes there are other people there. And these are the sorts of little phrases that you might hear. So actually, there's probably some good business English to be learned from this. Um So the first thing is uh, what the British say would be this. Yeah, I hear what you say. I hear what you say. I hear what you say. And what the British actually mean here uh, is, well, okay, let's do it with the British, what the British say, what people understand and what the British mean. Let's do that in that order. So yeah, okay, I hear what you say, I hear what you say. Uh, what other people understand is, yeah, he accepts my point of view. I hear, yeah, okay, hear what you say. But what the British actually mean is, well, I disagree and I don't want to discuss it any further. Now, to be honest with you, I think that the, the British version, that, you know, the what the British mean thing here is, an, is a big exaggeration. I think, um, yeah, okay, hear, I hear what you say. I disagree and I don't want to discuss it further. I mean, sometimes you, you do say yes or, you, you know, okay, fine, I understand. And you do use that to, to sort of shut someone up, as it were. So okay, oh right, thanks, good, yeah, okay, I hear what you say. So sometimes it can be used like that, you know, as a way of kind of closing someone down. So maybe in that context, but uh, do people really believe that it's like yeah, okay, I hear what you say? He accepts my point of view. It does sound a bit like that. So you know, a little bit of sugar coating there to basically what is thank you, stop talking. I think that's pretty much the the force of that. It's like okay, all right, I hear what you say thank you very much. Your time is up. Please stop talking. Um, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I think it's probably fair then on balance. The next one is, well, with with the greatest respect, with the greatest respect. So something you would say uh, at the beginning of, you know, saying something else. Well, you know, actually with the greatest respect. So what other people understand there is that, oh, okay, he's listening to me. He, he respects me. He's listening to me. Whereas what the British person actually means is, I think you're an idiot. Um, th- th- again, I have to say there is some truth in this, but I think everybody knows. I mean, it's such a cliche, isn't it? That if anyone says, well, with the greatest respect, that they're going to then insult you. I mean, I think everyone knows that, don't they? D- did you know that? Did you did you know that? Yeah. You knew that as well. Yeah, good. What about, did you know, you didn't, you didn't know that? Well, okay. Well, what, one in, one in three? One in four? Um, anyway, so, what, well, with the greatest respect, I think that, um, that and it wouldn't be a direct insult as well. I think it would probably be, well, would it, be, it would still be a kind of cutting remark. Like, um, well, with the greatest respect, I don't think you're in a position to, to ask that question you know, with the greatest respect, I don't think you're in a position to answer that, to ask that question, which is like, you have no right to say that, uh, y- you know, you- you're above your station, um, you know. I th- well, with the greatest respect, I-, I do believe this is out of your jurisdiction, that kind of talk, like sassy business talk. Well, um, with the greatest respect, uh, I-, 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 I do believe that uh, I'm the project manager on this one, you know, that all that sort of sassy business talk we, we could um we could rename this episode sassy business talk with luke thompson could be a new series of podcasts um sassy business talk the business english podcast with luke thompson from luke's english podcast it's a bit of a long title anyway the next one um yeah that's not it's not bad that's not bad that's not bad um yeah all right. yes you know that's not bad actually that's not bad. So what other people understand what other people are meaning, I guess foreigners or people who don't speak English British English as a first language. Um yeah, it's not bad. Means that's poor. That's it's not good enough. What the British actually mean is that's good. Yeah, it's it's not bad that. It's not bad. What do you think of the the designs for the new packaging? What do you think of Yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah, not bad. Could mean, yeah, that's really good. But I mean I've I've heard that in France. Uh, They say that in France all the time. Uh, In fact, they say, ah, c'est pas mal. Uh, They say, it's not bad, eh, this. They say that all the time, and they never say, hey, this is great. or this is wonderful. This is brilliant. do they? Ah, c'est génial, ça. Now, they do a bit. They do, to be fair. They do have the positive words as well. But, um, um, but certainly, ah, oh, pas mal, uh, is a lot, is used a lot, so I think it's not just the Brits, I mean, come on, in your culture, I bet people say, hey, it's not bad, that, meaning that's good. Next one is, uh, well, that, that is certainly is a very brave proposal, it's, uh, certainly a very, it's a, it's a very brave proposal, that's when someone suggests something or proposes something, for example, you know, I, I suggest we, um, maybe, Uh, what we could do is project the company logo uh, onto the moon using very high-powered torches. Uh, It could certainly get the the, the company known all around the world. We could Add the website uh, on the moon as well, and that might uh, really kind of you know catch people's attention. What do you think? And the person goes, "Well, uh, you know, that is certainly is a very brave proposal. Uh, I'm not sure we have the resources available to to to, to finance that, do we, Tony? And Tony's like, "Well, I'm you know I'm going to have to look into it, uh, and that's going to cost upwards of uh, you know ninety billion. Um, And uh, you know, I'll I'll have a look in petty cash, see what we've got. Uh, Anyway, that certainly is a very brave proposal. Would mean uh actually means you're insane uh y- y- are you out of your mind you y- please call a doctor this person needs to be um, looked after uh that's well that's certainly a very brave proposal and uh whereas the the uh unwitting foreigner does this does this smell a, this is not what the foreigner would say but just I'm I'm saying this does this smell slightly of brexit can anyone smell any brexit can you smell brexit i can smell a bit of brexit here I think there's there's something there's some Brexit somewhere. I don't know. Anyway, um, if you see any Brexit, just uh, get a plastic bag and just you know if you could just deal with that because I'm sure I can. Did anyone step in any? Did you step in some Brexit? There is a lot of Brexit on the street. You have to. It has to be said. Uh, So watch your step. Anyway, so the next one is um, uh, yeah. So anyway, that is a very brave proposal. The unwitting uh, foreigner may may think, well, uh, he thinks I have courage. Would you think that? Would you think that if someone said that to you? Well, that's, you know, certainly a very brave proposal. I think it's quite fair to believe that that's someone is giving you a compliment there and saying, you're very brave. You have courage. You have courage, man from far, far land. From from which land do you hail, sir? You're a man of courage. That is a very brave proposal. Um, sounds like something from a Thor movie suddenly. Anyway, um, imagine that a Thor, Thor in the boardroom. Um, so welcome to the, the meeting. Thanks everyone for, for coming. Um, just like to introduce Thor to everyone. Uh, Thor's like, uh, you know, Thor's just here just to, um, he's just shadowing me for the week. Uh, and you know, Thor's like, yes, I come with the power of thunder to perform the feat of shadowing. Um, you know, Anyway, that is a very brave proposal It's the sort of thing you might hear in a Star Wars You can imagine a, a Darth Vader scene Where he says that in a sarcastic way That is a, certainly a very brave proposal You know, that sort of thing Next one is um, it's quite good That's quite good Yeah, it's quite good And uh, the foreigner I feel uncomfortable saying the foreigner but I guess what other people—that's that's what they've put on this table. What other people would think would be—that's uh, that's quite good. Means that's quite good. You would imagine, but no, no, nah, it's quite good. Is uh, that's a bit disappointing. But I mean, that's all. It's everything is in the voice there, isn't it? Everything is in the intonation. Yeah, yeah, it's quite good. No, nah, that's yeah, it's quite good. I mean, that it's all in the intonation. So it could mean. Well, that's that's actually that's quite good actually, isn't it? That's actually quite good. Mm, that's quite good, actually. You know that means it's good. Whereas, yeah, yeah, it's quite good means it's a bit disappointing. So it's all in the intonation. I mean, this is completely unfair to put it down in on in in writing like this in such a a, a sort of binary way. It's really unfair. There's, it doesn't account for all of the necessary bits of nuance that we have when we speak. And I suppose actually, what this proves to us is that. Uh, english you know as a language is a is a language that you that we speak and it's a language that we do it's not a language necessarily that we know it's not just about the words that we know and the words that we employ it's also about the way we deliver those words and and i think this is actually really important that uh, we must think carefully about the way in which we are delivering uh, the things we're saying in our uh, other languages and you know you've got to try and um you know, use the right intonation, because it really paints a picture and provides the context within which your words are going to make sense. So, mm, that was quite good, could mean that's a bit disappointing, whereas, well, it's quite good, actually, isn't it? Means it's good. Um, next one is, well, I I, I would suggest, um, I would suggest maybe... Uh, you know changing the font there on the on the main on the you know in the central word there i think you know i would just suggest changing the font perhaps and what other people think would be you know just think about the idea my idea of changing the font think about it but ultimately you can do what you like so the person is saying well you know i would suggest maybe changing the font and the person's going that's an option but what the what the speaker really means is do it or be prepared to justify yourself <laughs> Meaning, basically, do it. you better do it? You better. This is what you should do. I would suggest changing the font. Maybe means you should change the font. Mm, okay. Uh, next one is oh uh, oh. Incidentally, and or or oh. Uh, by the way, so incidentally or by the way, which mean the same thing, which is the sort of like where you add extra information or an extra message. You just tack an extra message on the end of the main thing you've said. So if you know it, it you know oh oh by the way it's very much the kind of columbo um approach where columbo is like asking lots of annoying questions you know columbo the detective ah uh, my wife's a big fan of yours you know that guy i don't know if that's a good columbo impression but uh you know well could could i trouble you for a signature my wife's a big fan of yours um so columbo asks lots of questions and he takes lots of time and he's very annoying and then he's like well, well Thanks for your time. Sorry to bother you. And then he he goes to the door, and then of course he goes, oh, just uh, one more thing, or uh, oh, incidentally, um, or by the way. So it's the Columbo approach, tacking something on at the end. And so, oh, incidentally, um, if you could just blah 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 for me. So it could be something like this. Um, um, it could be something like I don't know. What would it be? Uh, can I just have a quick word with you? Can I have a quick word in my office? Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, so uh, let's see, what is it? Um, so I just wanted to ask you about the, the, the outing, the, the away day next Friday. Um, I was just wondering if you'd ask people what they wanted to eat. And and you say, oh, yeah, of course, they, they said they, they'd like to go for a Caribbean, actually. So it's Caribbean. Okay. So it's Caribbean then. Okay. So 16 people, Caribbean. Fantastic. Okay. Great. Thanks very much. Um, oh, uh, just by the way, just uh, just before I forget, could you get that report on my desk by the end of the day, please. I just need to be able to uh, you know, run with it in the morning. Okay, if you could just do that, that'd be great. Thanks. So incidentally, or, or by the way, and um, well, I suppose that's slightly unfair context that I gave there, because obviously the the report is important. But anyway, it sounds a bit like this, this is not very important. A little bit like, oh, by the way, if you could just get the report on my desk by the end of the day, that would be great thanks it It kind of doesn 't sound that important, but actually this is obviously the, the more important thing um, okay so and and apparently the, the the British English speaker would say that you know this is the primary purpose of our discussion uh, but um, i don 't think it 's fair. I think it depends entirely on context, but you can imagine. Just like I did there, you can imagine a manager springing something on you at the last moment with the Colombo technique. You can imagine it happening, so perhaps it is a, a real thing. Maybe it's something that happens. Oh, just by the way, um, you know, could, I need your reports by the, by the end of the week. Oh, f- oh fucking fucking hell is what you think in your head. Like, oh, he fucking did it again. Um, next one was um, well. I was um I was I was a bit disappointed that you didn't include last year's numbers in the in the presentation. Um and uh I was a bit disappointed and people think it means well that it doesn't really matter, it's okay, it doesn't really matter that much. But actually it means I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed about this. I was a I was a bit disappointed that you didn't include those um those good figures from last month. And that means I'm actually annoyed about this. Um mm, I mean what do you think? Um, great presentation. I think you did a great job. Um, it really went down well with the audience. I was a bit disappointed that you didn't include those good figures from last year, but you know, on the whole good job, um, it sounds like it doesn't really matter there. It could also sound like the person's annoyed. I mean, it depends, doesn't it? If it's some kind of stressed out manager with veins pumping out of his head and he's kind of like, you know, too stressed out, he's going through a divorce and he's like really on the edge Uh, Stressed at drinks too much coffee, and he's like, uh, You know, good job, Thompson. Good job on the um, on that meeting there. It went down really well with the with with uh, all those people. I don't know who they were, Uh, but just good job. Well done. You know, I just you you know, I was a bit disappointed you didn't include the uh, the 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 uh, numbers there from last year. They were good numbers, but uh, you know, on the whole, good job. Well done. Uh, You can imagine this sort of stressed out manager who's actually quite annoyed in a passive aggressive sort of way. Um, so maybe that's fair as well i mean what's on balance i think we're coming up 50 50 on on this in general there's one two three four five six seven more let's go on so the next one is very interesting very interesting yeah very interesting (laughs) and very interesting can sound like it means they're very impressed they're impressed by what i'm saying yeah very interesting very okay but actually, it means this is nonsense. This is obviously nonsense. This is clearly nonsense. Um, well, that's certainly very interesting. Um, now, OK, this is a tricky one again, because interesting, in fact, when you look at it, isn't, is a neutral word. And so it's actually a very tricky little word which you can use to get out of tight situations. It's, it's like your emergency word. It's like a little uh, rope that you have dangling down. And you can grab onto it to escape from situations, <laughs> this word. It's just like perfectly sitting on the fence. And in fact, sometimes you can use this word devastatingly to to damn something with faint praise, which is a, a phrase, a nice phrase, that one, to damn something with faint praise. If you damn something with fate, faint praise, it means that you kind of insult someone or say something really critical by uh, giving a very, very mild... Um, bit of praise. So the very mild bit of praise would be well, you know, that was it was really interesting. So if someone's made a film, they've made a short film, it's taken them 6 months and all of their money and they're like, I've made my short film, it's in the film festival. Do you want to see it and you sh- they show it to you and then afterwards you're like, well, that was that was interesting. You know, that could mean that was shit. Or it could mean that was like really challenging and like really making me think. Um but often yeah, it was a really interesting idea. Can mean I I don't really like it. You know, but I don't but I I don't want to sound too negative. So it's interesting. It's a kind of a way of not really committing yourself. Um I don't I wouldn't go so far as to say that's clearly nonsense. I don't know if anyone would think that they were impressed. Well, wow, that's certainly very interesting. It sounds a bit impressive, but I think most people would probably notice that it's not really um, a positive statement. The next one is, well, I'll, I'll certainly bear it in mind. I'm adding the word certainly a lot in this for some reason. It's just one of those little words that you can use to add distance or just sort of, yeah, a little distancing word. Well, I'll, I'll certainly bear it in mind, which uh, people think means, well, they will probably do it. Like For example, if you said, um, um, what would it be now? Um. I had, uh, that's it I, I, At the next uh, general, uh, at the next weekly meeting Would you mind if I said a couple of things about an event that's happening for charity I just uh, wanted to say a couple of things And the person goes, well, okay We don't normally have, um, we don't we don't normally do those sorts of things But, you know, I'll, I'll bear it in mind And the person thinks, oh, they'll probably do it But in fact it means, no, I'm, I've forgotten about it already uh, well, I'll certainly bear it in mind. Which is uh, again a bit like, well, I'll, I'll definitely consider it. I'll definitely consider it. Which is a bit like very interesting, in the sense that it's 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 a way of getting out of something. It sounds like you're committing. Uh, I'll definitely consider it. it sounds like you're con- committing to something, but actually you're just saying that you'll you'll think about it. But there's no promise. There's no guarantee in there at all. But it sounds quite strong, doesn't it? Well, I'll definitely consider. I think it's really interesting. And I'll, I'll bear it in mind and I'll definitely consider it. I promise you I will consider it, um, which is, you know, it just means I'll think about it. Um, so I'll bear it in mind. The next one is, well, I, it's OK. I'm sure it's my fault. Um, I'm sure it's my fault. I mean, sometimes emails just slip into the, the, the you know, the spam folder. And may, I, I tell you, what, it, I must, I probably just uh, forgot to send it. You know, it's probably as simple as that. So, um, you know, I'll, don't worry. I'll send it again. I'm sure it's my fault. Never mind and and they think uh, you, you, the other person thinks why do they think it, it was their fault it was obviously my fault and uh because what happened was that you um uh, you sent an email to your boss But the wrong email address And he didn't get it And then he was angry And he replied to you And said where's that email And you said I sent it to you last week Didn't you get it And he was like no I didn't get it And then you I wrote it to this email address And he said oh it's the wrong one and, uh, and then you go oh god And then you pop into his office And you say hey I'm just You know I just wanted to say I'm really sorry about the, um, about the email thing I'm, You know I don't know how I got that uh, email wrong I'm, I'm just really sorry about the confusion And he goes oh no don't worry I'm sure it was my fault I probably sent you the wrong email address address uh and in fact they mean it it is your fault <laughs> uh, uh, really i don't know i think if if i had a bo- if i had a boss who did that would i what would i think of him uh obviously you've got the email it's, it's i don't know i think that maybe i i would have i could imagine having a boss who would do that as a way of the boss is kind of saying, it, look, let's just forget about it. I'm sure it was my fault. No problem. I probably sent you the wrong email when, in fact, you, you know, the per- he obviously didn't. I, I could imagine that happening, to be fair. I don't see that as being particularly duplicitous. I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. It's just the, the case of the boss trying to maintain, uh, you know, cordial relations. I think it's fine, you know. And, and ultimately, so what? You know, there was a problem with the email. And what's he going to do? Is he going to, like, punish you for it? If he's not going to punish you for it, then he shouldn't be like shitty with you, you know. Because why be shitty with you and not punish you? That doesn't make any sense. So either you punish the person in some way, you maybe just tell them off or some other measure or of some kind. If you want to be harsh, or you just say, "Hey, never mind. You know, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Sorry, it's maybe my fault." I know some of you are thinking, oh, the it's my fault thing is a bit too far. Maybe that is a bit too far. And the person could just say, hey, don't worry. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We've got the right email addresses now. Everything's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. Stop. Stop. Please stop crying. Don't, no, don't, 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 don't cry. Don't do that, please. Um, no, no, no just get out. You're fired. Okay. <laughs> You're, you are, get your coat. No, I will not tolerate emotions in, in this British company. You are fired. Um, Sorry, I mean I, I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah. No, it's not that you're fired. It's just that I, I have to let you go. Obviously, because you're hanging by a little thread, and I'm I'm really sorry, but you know I have to let you go. As it, you're you're desperate to leave, obviously, so I'm going to have to let you go. Um, so, uh, but no, I'm sure it's my fault anyway. So the next one is: Oh, look, you must come for dinner next time you're in town. Next time you're in Paris, you you must come for dinner at the end of a conference, like some like teaching conference has been going on. It's the IA conference. And uh, there's some guy from a publishing company who follows me on Twitter and I follow him on Twitter. And we chatted a little bit on Twitter and we never actually met. And then at the IA conference, we meet and we meet each other a couple of times and have a couple of drinks and we get to know each other a bit. And at the end, he's like, oh, you know, you must come for dinner. Look, we'll talk about that book and you must come for dinner next time you're in wherever it is. Like uh, next time you're in uh, like Leeds or whatever. And I'm like, great. That sounds fantastic. I'm never going to go to Leeds ever again, man. I live in, I live in France now. I live in Paris and like, I I only went to Leeds once, uh, and I just drank Guinness in a pub in the center of town. It was great. I'd love to go back, but I I really don't think there's much chance of me ever going back. But if I do, uh, maybe, you know, because of climate change, maybe it's the, the right move to go up north but I don't have any fixed plans to do it yet. But if I am in town for another festival or uh, or conference, then yeah, okay, maybe I will meet up with you for dinner. You know, uh, but what the person uh, actually means is this is not an invitation. I'm just being polite. Uh, I think that happened to me, but it wasn't an English person. I think it, I, I had that happened to me from a Spanish person once. Spanish people, do you do this? Do pe- people out there, podcast people? Lepsters in Lepland. Do you do this? Do you invite people over for dinner, but you don't really mean it? Do you do this? Do you, do you, do you pull this move on people? I've never done this, but uh, but people do this. I, and this was done to me by a Spanish guy. I taught him for two. It was great. He was a really cool guy. That was the thing. He was a really cool dude. And I was like, this guy's cool. He's a kind of cool Spanish guy. <laughs> he had a good sense of humor. His English was very good. I taught him for two weeks and he was a cool Spanish guy. And it was, it was all right. And then afterwards, when he left, I hate saying goodbye to students. Can't stand it. So the, the perhaps the worst part is the whole goodbye. Because you, te- you meet students, you, you, you teach them for a few weeks. And then after that, it's like, well, bye. Have a good life. Good luck. You know. Uh, so it's kind of weird. You know, the number of students I've, I've met and introduced myself to, built up a rapport with. And then afterwards, like, well, bye forever. Uh, Sometimes you see them again, but most of them I haven't ever seen again, maybe on Facebook, is that real? Does that count? Anyway, what was I talking about? You must come for dinner. So the Spanish guy at the end of the course was like, I can't do a Spanish accent. Okay. So I'm not going to. But he was like, Luke, I really enjoyed your, your courses. And uh, if you ever come to Barcelona, then, you know, you must come around for dinner. I'll cook you some nice Spanish food. And I was like, Hey, I might take you up on that, which is what you have to say when someone says that. Okay. Great. I might take you up on that. Phrasal verb in your in your face in the place from out of space. I might take you up on that. Um, So I said, hey, I might take you up on that. You know what? A couple of months later, uh, I emailed him and I said, hey, I'm thinking about coming to Barcelona for the weekend. Um, Is that offer of dinner still on? He didn't reply. Oh, feel the burn. He didn't mean it. So maybe people are doing this to each other all around the world. In different countries, people are pulling this move on each other. They're doing the Columbo. They're doing the Spanish guy. Next one on the list is, is this one. Well, I almost agree. I almost agree. Uh, which they think they, who are these people, they think that means he's not far from agreement. The naive, The naive non-native speaking foreign person in this diagram who's kind of like totally takes everything on face value. Oh, he said that he almost agreed. That must mean that he's not far from agreement, right? He said, you must come for dinner. That means I will get an invitation soon. In my country, people honour their word. You know, uh, I shall get an invitation or he shall die. Um, I don't know if there are any people in the world who actually think like that. I don't think there are. But anyway, let's carry on going through this slightly ridiculous uh, thing, which when you actually scrutinise it, turns into slight bullshit, I think. So the next thing is, I only have a few minor complaints. I only have a few minor complaints. Um, all right, you know, thanks for the report. You got it on my desk on time. <laughs> Great. A little bit of a uh, last minute uh, deadline there for you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Tony, or whatever your name is, Pedro. Uh... So uh, I only have a few minor comments. Um, now, what this actually means is, please rewrite the report completely and do it now and uh, you're not allowed to go home or the person might think it means he's just found a few typing errors there's just a few typos this is the uh, the, uh, the the naive uh, foreign chap oh he's just found a two a few typos maybe just a few get grammar mistakes or spelling mistakes i only have a few minor comments actually it means you have to drastically rewrite it i don't know about i think that one sounds a bit um um ungenuine um Disingenuous I think that sounds A little disingenuous I only have a few Minor complaints That sounds like A bit of a Evil boss I think Uh, Thanks very much For the uh Ah Thompson Thank you Very much for the report Which you left on my desk Um, Very good of you to respond to my uh, early deadline request. Uh, I only have a few minor complaints. Uh, Would you like to sit down? A cup of tea? Coffee, perhaps? We may be here for some time. (laughs) Um, And the final one, final one here is this. Could we consider some some other options? Uh, Could we consider some other options? And apparently the naive foreign person thinks, ah, they haven't decided yet could we perhaps consider some other options? So let's say, for example, I don't know, I'm trying to negotiate a time frame for the delivery of some cheese from from a cheese manufacturer. And uh, they say, we'd like to deliver in bulk uh, 30 kilograms of cheese at a time. And I say, I'm afraid we don't have enough storage for that amount of cheese. We can only accept 10 kilograms. Uh, is, you know, uh, could we consider some other options? That sounds like yeah, that sounds like I don't like your idea, doesn't it? I think everyone would agree with that. As soon as you put that into context, then everyone knows that it just means I don't like your idea. Can you have you got a better idea? Have you got like maybe a better offer? I think everyone would agree with that. So all in all, then on balance, uh, what do I think of this? And by the way, you can see that infographic, that diagram. Uh, you can see it on the page for this episode. I think I'm going to try and get it into the app, so it might be the little bonus um, PDF. In the app. Um, anyway, uh, on balance, what do I think of this? Well, I think it's exaggerated. I, don't, I, I think Brits are not as stuffy, awkward, or unable to say what we mean as this seems to suggest. It's also slightly old fashioned, too. I can imagine a sort of old fashioned boss saying some of those things. Also, it's not really fair on foreigners who are not that stupid. Um, I think it originally came from the Netherlands, as I said before, who we do actually most of our business with in the EU at the moment. Um, bit of Brexit there. Definitely some Brexit somewhere. And they're known for being very plain talking, uh, a direct culture. So this is perhaps from the Dutch point of view, which exaggerates things further. There is a point being made too, which is that the English say the opposite of what they mean, which is not really true. Direct cultures tend to view indirect ones as being two-faced, hypocritical, and even duplicitous. We do speak indirectly, perhaps downplaying negative things and attempting to use tact and, di- and diplomacy, but it doesn't stretch to being deceitful. I think. For the English, it's a way to keep things nice and to kind of sugarcoat our formal relationships. It's a respectful distance which has been in the culture for a long time. We might be a bit indirect by Dutch standards, but we know what we're talking about. We understand what each other means because we know the codes. So it's a functional communication system and just another way to share ideas while getting on at the same time. Another point is that you could argue that this is all specifically English rather than British because there is a slight cultural difference between the English and the Scottish, the Irish, the Welsh and even Cornish people. But anyway, I know know plenty of English people who are perfectly capable of being direct and saying exactly what they mean. Also, there may be a class issue here. I think this relates to certain kinds of middle class or upper class English people who tend to communicate like this, especially in a formal situation. There are certainly plenty of English people who are very direct in their communication style. The situation is also important. Most of these phrases are used at work, where diplomacy is important. So in social situations, these same people might be extremely direct. For example, with friends who you might make fun of and speak to without any kind of filter. Um, So the sentences also are are out of context, as I said. So it's not obvious how the phrase is intonated uh, or what other phrases are used around it. Uh, written down like that it has no nuance and this can make the Brits look pretty awful so this graph is designed I think to make people laugh and to illustrate a tendency for British people to be a bit indirect but it's by no means a flawless guide to British communication style it's a bit black and white in fact there are plenty of UK individuals who are more direct than this and e- and probably EU in- individuals who are indirect it's a bit them and us isn't it it's a bit them and us, a little bit black and white, and therefore a bit unfair. And I think that's why it smells of Brexit. So, good, let's wrap that up in a plastic bag and chuck it out. OK, good. But it's, it's not just Brits as well, you know, indirectness. It's not just the British. There are plenty of other cultures or individuals who also communicate like this. Canadians, for example, are well known for having a polite and indirect communication style. They say sorry all the time for everything. Uh, while there's definitely an underlying point being demonstrated by the chart taking it on face value makes British people seem insincere and sneaky, which is a common criticism of us by European people with direct communication styles. Whereas us Brits see our communication style as diplomatic and avoiding conflict and essentially all about being nice, other people think that we are not being honest or straight or sincere. We just don't want to seem too negative or nasty but we come across as being unsure of ourselves or weak or even untrustworthy. Equally, the other side, from the other side, British people might think that the French can be willfully difficult or stubborn and problematic. We also find the Germans, who tend to state things exactly as they are, to be somehow cold and humorless with their ultra-pragmatic approach, which doesn't involve small talk or window dressing. It's It's all a bit tricky, isn't it? In English, we do like to sugarcoat things. Not every culture does that. Some do it more than us. Of course, I think maybe the Americans sugarcoat things even more. Hi, how are you doing today? Have a nice day. Hi, my name's Todd. I'll be your personal shopper. Uh, You know, that kind of, you know, that sort of super service. Did you find everything you were looking for? Well, you're all set. Have a nice day now. God bless America. Um, Now, uh, so, yeah, maybe the Americans do it even more Of course, it doesn't always go like that And most of the time, communication happens without problems And it's all fine For example, I've had many exchanges with people from many different cultures Including those from direct cultures And they've been absolutely lovely But then again, I am quite culturally aware And I'm able to minimise this sort of thing By recognising the importance of saying exactly what you mean I imagine that that when people from other countries do business with Brits who are not used to cross-cultural communication, that sometimes there is friction and it's often related to these cultural differences. Also, it could be related to writing style in emails, where this kind of thing becomes so much more obvious. I can imagine foreign people receiving English emails and wondering what exactly the person means. Like the example of My Wife and the Castle, which is a story I've told several times on the podcast. And it's a story which I'll probably tell again because it sort of uh, explains the the way that sometimes being indirect means that other people don't understand what you mean. So you know the story, don't you? So my parents live near a castle. It's a fantastic castle, one of the best castles in England. Uh, It's a fantastic place. And my wife always wants to visit the castle, But my parents don't really want to visit the castle. They just want to stay in with uh, us and our daughter and my brother. And they want to drink tea. And they want to just talk and catch up on stuff. They just want to sit indoors in comfort and be with us. They don't really want to go to the castle. But they're nice. So my wife emails and says, hey, why don't we go to the castle this week, this weekend? And my dad says, well, we could go to the castle. But we're also thinking it might be quite nice to just have a chat with you and have a cup of tea. And my wife reads it and goes, we could go to the castle. She thinks, hey, we're going to go to the castle. And I say, what? Are you you kidding? Did we read the same email? We're definitely not going to the castle. Um, And, you know, I read it again. We could go to the castle, but, sorry, there's no way. It's out of the question. We're not going to the castle. So that's an example of how she didn't quite realise that we could go to the castle, but means we're not going to the castle. We don't want to go to the castle. We'd rather stay in and drink tea. Um, Here's another example. Uh, Apparently, when the German company BMW took over the British car manufacturer Rover, it took ages for BMW to fully understand the extent of the problems at Rover because all the British staff minimised the problems or spoke in slightly vague euphemisms The Germans weren't able to decode the embedded negatives within the Brits' responses. For example, what would that sound like? Imagine the German going, Okay, so we have (laughs) this is my German accent. Okay, so I'm a pragmatic German guy. We have come to the the plant. Can you tell us all the problems that you are having with the plant and then we will fix them? Um, Why are you getting angry? I don't know. I'm a sort of a stereotype. I'm sorry to all the German people. Just, uh, Just stop. Okay. so that um, the the British person would be like, well, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> well, we've had a few we've had a few slight problems on the production line. Uh, staff have expressed some preference for a longer break during the afternoon shift. We've had a few slight issues on the production line. So, how big are those problems on the production line exactly? We've had a few slight issues on the production line it would be worth investigating them further, I think, wouldn't it, rather than assuming that they are just a few slight issues. Uh, Overall, overall, I think there is truth in the chart, which is why it's such an endearing, an enduring, in fact, success online. But it's not totally true. The truth is that Brits put a positive shine on things as a social lubricant, aka sugarcoating. And it, it works within indirect cultures, like, for example, in Japan, I think, It's fair to say they they have this sort of indirect culture where, to an extent, the Japanese can kind of, they're they're communicating with a form of like blinks and blinking and nodding. And all the Japanese people know exactly what they mean. And it's just (laughs) a slight shift of their head, a little bit of blinking and nodding. And all Japanese people know exactly what they're talking about. Deep deep and meaningful conversations. Whereas all the foreigners are like, is there anything, is there communication happening here? Who's in charge here? Maybe that's an exaggeration um but you know having lived in japan for 2 years i should remind you that i have a deep love and respect for the japanese culture and so any um, um sort of uh, taking the mickey is done in the uh, warmest possible regards anyway so um we we do um p- put a positive shine on things whereas direct cultures say things uh, as they are which can make them seem a little unfriendly or cold hearted Yet, ultimately, they can be more sincere. It's more honest and sincere. sort of know where you are with a French person. You've already had a disagreement with them, and then you're on solid ground with them forever after that. Now, you know, neither approach is better than the other. They're just alternatives. Really, it's about context. With indirect cultures, the indirect style probably feels more natural. With direct cultures, it's the other way around. The problems arise when the two cultures get together and then misunderstand each other. For the chart, more perspective and context is required to really understand what's going on and to avoid knee-jerk reactions. I say knee-jerk reactions. These are sort of quick, instant responses that happen without thoughtful consideration. Like when a doctor taps your knee and it jerks forward without you thinking about it. That's a knee-jerk reaction. Those things might be to conclude that Germans have no sense of humour. That's a knee-jerk reaction. That French people are willfully difficult and don't want to work. And that English people are hypocrites who don't say what they mean. Simple binary comparisons of language without context like this can foster unbalanced opinions which can lead to or reinforce resentment and things like that. Uh, So the final point is that despite our communication style, the Brits are just as fair-minded or honest or trustworthy or narrow-minded or dishonest and untrustworthy as anybody else. Don't jump to conclusions and never let cultural differences cause you to make fast judgments or knee-jerk reactions about people without seeing the whole picture. Um, So that's pretty much it. Here's a little bonus extra bit then at the end. That That has been a sort of a a sort of uh, oral essay of sorts this episode it feels like um this uh, about british communication culture and um in you could call it in defense of um british communication style maybe uh, or at least clarifying a few myths myth busting i feel like we're debunking the whole british people don't tell the truth thing here uh, in in this episode um Okay, fine, good. What do you think? Leave your comments, please, ladies and gents. I'd love to read what you think about this whole subject. Have you ever done business with the British? Have you ever done business with other communication cultures where there's a difference in, a difference in uh, communication style? Um, you know, let us know about your experiences and your conclusions. I'm just going to read from a BBC... Uh, Report here at the end of this episode. Uh, This is about an hour of of episode here. This is from uh, Stephen Evans on the BBC News website, um, and um, from two thousand and eleven. And the title is "What Paddington Tells Us About German Versus British Manners." Paddington is a British uh, kind of cartoon character. He's a very cute bear. I think he comes from Peru, originally. He finds his way all the way to London's Paddington Station, where he is picked up by a family. They kind of rescue him, and they call him Paddington. And then we we follow the adventures of Paddington Bear with his family living in London. It's very cute. Now, uh, here's the story, and I'm just going to read it out. You can find the link on the page for this episode. So, are Germans ruder than the British? Are Britons more dishonest than Germans? Fortunately, we don't have to rely on blind prejudice for answers. Serious academic research has been done on both sides of the North Sea. There are Britons in Berlin who get taken aback by the directness of Germans. And there are Germans who get really annoyed when Britons and Americans, in an effort to appear friendly, say things that they don't really mean. Some Germans call this lying. So what do the experts say on the matter? Professor Julianne House of the University of Hamburg has studied groups of people interacting in controlled situations, watching with academic rigor how they behave as human guinea pigs. She found or verified that Germans really don't do small talk. Those little phrases so familiar to the British about the weather or a person's general well-being, but which she describes as empty verbiage. "'In academic language, this is phatic conversation. "'It's not meant to convey hard information, "'but to perform some social function, "'such as making people feel good. "'The German language doesn't even have an expression "'for small talk,' she says. "'It's so alien that in the German translation "'of A Bear Called Paddington, "'the small talk section was omitted from the film. "'So this exchange of small talk occurs "'in the original English version,' Hello, Mrs. Bird, said Judy. It's nice to see you again. How's the rheumatism? Rheumatism is like a a pain that you get in your joints, in your hands and your legs and your feet. Hello, Mrs. Bird, said Judy. It's nice to see you again. How's the rheumatism? Oh, worse than it's ever been, began Mrs. Bird. In the German edition, this passage is simply cut. Might a German talk about the weather then, maybe? In a lift or a doctor's waiting room, talk about the weather in German... I don't think so, she says. So does that mean that the British are more polite? Well, no, just different. For their part, the British have what House calls the etiquette of simulation. The British feign an interest in someone. They kind of fake an interest in someone. They feign an interest in someone. They pretend to want to meet again when they don't really. They simulate concern, saying things like, well, it's nice to meet you, are rarely meant the way they are said, she says. It's just words. It's just simulating interest in the other person. From a German perspective, this is uncomfortably close to deceit. Some people say that the British and Americans lie when they say things like that. It's not a lie. It's lubricating social life. It's always nice to say things like that, even if you don't mean them, says House. Okay, then, folks. So, on balance, then, that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Uh, don't forget, you can find a lot of the th- stuff I said in this episode written out on the page for the episode. There's an almost 100% transcript there. Also, don't forget to get the Luke's English Podcast app, where you can get every single episode of the podcast, plus loads of bonus content. There's, like, full bonus episodes covering all sorts of different things. There's videos in there. There's a, f- there's all the phrasal verb episodes. There are new ones coming soon. Uh, there are also bits of music, jingles, and other little bits and pieces. Uh, Plus, also, you can sign up for LEP Premium. At the moment, there are at least eight um, sort of bits of content in there, eight episodes, a couple of videos and things. Uh, And LEP Premium is where I go deeper into the language. So that's where you get to explore the specific bits of language that you've heard in episodes of the podcast. And um, it's doing well. And I've got like a, a team, an LEP Premium team, who are uh, enjoying the premium stuff. I've got new stuff coming up over the next uh, few weeks and months. So get on board. You'll find you you will get access to all of the premium content and all of the premium content that's, that's coming as well. So this is a library that's going to grow and grow and grow. And there are PDFs with them as well. So you can use them as little study guides with tests at the end so you can test yourself. It's like a, it's a system, you know, I'm going through language, explaining it, giving examples, trying to, you know, keep it, Uh, entertaining with the examples, if I can. And then there are tests and notes on PDF format. Uh, So get involved. Go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. Uh, But uh, as far as this episode is concerned, that's it. And I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye, bye, 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 bye.